to have to quiet everybody down. And now that we have the music that fades out, the screen, three screens in the auditorium telling everybody that we're getting ready to start, my work is done. So I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. So we're glad that you all are here, uh, ready to worship the Lord together on this Palm Sunday. And we're just excited to prepare our hearts uh, for this week and for Easter next week. Um, hello to all of those tuning in via live stream and to those in the parking lot uh, listening via FM radio and everybody here in the auditorium. I hope you're doing well. We're going to start our service as we have each week uh, with our first song. And we're going to sing Crown Him with Many Crowns. We haven't sung it uh, in a while, but I, I'm, I'm sure we all know it. Um, so let's stand together if you're here or if you're at home or in the parking lot if you want. And we'll sing Crown Him with Many Crowns together this morning. bow together before the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow our hearts and our heads humbly before you because we know who we are and we know who you are. We are those who believe we know what is best for us, better than you, the one who made us. We are those who believe we are entitled to your gifts rather than the undeserving recipients of them. We are those who believe that from us and through us and to us are all things. To us be the glory forever. We are those who believe that though it is our sin that has put us in misery, we sinners can set ourselves free from it. Oh Lord, how arrogant and insolent and disobedient we are. 
And we're standing before you, and you are holy and all-wise and generous and glorious and all-merciful. We need all of these things that you are as answer to our foolish idolatry. That we can take these breaths to confess and to acknowledge you is itself an evidence of your grace to us. If you so chose, you could justly, you could justly remove the scourge of humanity from your world. So help us to understand this, Lord. Humble us to recognize this, our God. But you have poured out your righteous wrath, not on us, but on the one who knew no sin, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of him and because of him alone, we sinners can have a relationship with you, the true and living God. And so we stand before you, humbled by who we are and yet eternally grateful for who you are and for what you have done in Christ Jesus. We ask you to receive our praise on this Lord's Day. Move in our hearts so that the songs of our lips are focused on you and the attention of our minds is riveted on you. We ask you to help us to worship you in a way that's worthy of you. And we pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. And welcome again, everyone, to our worship service on this Lord's Day. And I am going to be going through our announcements and doing our scripture reading because, uh, again, this week, as this happened a few times uh, this year, Pastor Larry is pulling double duty in our uh, audiovisual ministry. And so I'm doing what he normally does, so bear with me as I do. I want to say a special welcome to those who are guests here today. If you've not been here uh, before or it's been a very long time, welcome or welcome back. And I want to let you know that the easiest way for you to tell us how we can help you is by texting the keyword CBC Connect to the number 97,000. If you do that, you'll get a link back. You click on that link, and then you'll be able to communicate to us anything you want. If you want to know more about some of the ministries that I'm going to be talking about here in just a bit, if you'd like to send us a prayer request or just a question, you can do all of that via sending CBC Connect to 97,000. So let me go through these announcements as quickly as I can. We have our children's church parents starting at 10:15, so be aware of that. We just remind you that throughout the last year, our children's ministry folks have faithfully, faithfully been preparing a, an online, a virtual version of uh, children's church for those families that uh, have not returned back live yet. And so they're doing both. They're doing double duty. They're doing live, and they're also doing uh, live stream. And for our kids, that starts at 10:15 on, on YouTube. We started a podcast. Uh, it's been about a year now. We do it every week. It's uh, released every Saturday at 2 o'clock. It's called That's a Good Question. And in this week's episode, we're answering the question, what challenges are churches going to be facing over the next few years? So if you haven't had a chance to view that, I would encourage you to do so. And also about a year ago, we started a blog, a weekly blog. It comes out on Fridays called the Church Matters Blog. And I asked the question in the short blog, this week, does your surgeon need to be a Christian? And it's talking about God's common grace uh, that allows human expertise, whether Christian or not, to be a benefit to society and to general human flourishing. So I would encourage you to take a look at that also. And then here are some things that are happening uh, this, this week. We normally have on Sunday nights, well, we have on the first and third Sunday evenings of each month, we have our community groups. Those are home groups because this is neither the first or third, then those do not meet tonight, but, uh, and they won't meet next week either because it's a, a holiday, so uh, it'll be a couple of weeks after that for our next home groups meeting via, via Zoom. Our women's ministry meets on the second and fourth Fridays by Zoom. And that next meeting is going to be uh, two, weeks from, two weeks from tomorrow on April the 12th. But this week on Tuesday evening at uh, 7 o'clock by Zoom, our junior high ministry does meet. And live the next day on Wednesday here at the ministry center, our uh, senior high will meet at uh, 7 o'clock. On Wednesdays and Thursdays of each week, we have a couple of adult classes that are going on. Both of those are by Zoom as well. The Wednesday class is 2 Corinthians. Dr. Combs is teaching that. And then on Thursday, the subject of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, is being taught by Dr. Snowberger. We have a men's ministry called Men's Fraternity. It uh, meets on 
Uh, its next meeting is going to be one week from this Friday. One week from this Friday, they meet a couple of times a month, and the men are meeting. Some are meeting here in person. Some are still meeting via Zoom. I want to mention our church family camp. Family camp is going to be June the 20th through the 23rd. It's going to be up in Mackinac, and we've reserved spaces. We've reserved cabins. They also have a, a hotel that they've built recently up there. We've gotten a bunch of rooms there, so outside of the cabins. Uh, so we have a space. However, that space is just about gone. In fact, we had uh, quite a response that we were very pleased to see very quickly, so we had to call them back and add some rooms. We've done that, so there is still is some, but if you are thinking about it, don't think about it too much longer so that you don't uh, lose a spot because there are only so many uh, left uh, for, for church family camp. With regard to giving, throughout uh, this year, most of our giving has come in online since we had not been meeting together. Now that many of us are back meeting together, you can uh, give online, but you can also uh, give here. We have a box set up in our lobby by the Welcome Center. We also have a box set up outside so that during the week, if you want to drop off your donation, you can do that there as well. All right, our scripture reading for this week is Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's stand together now for a song just before this morning's message. One with Himself, I cannot die. 
I invite you and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8. Each week we provide an outline for the message. Those outlines are available as you came in. If you're here in, uh, live in the auditorium uh, at the main entry doors, the outline points will be up on the screen if you didn't obtain one of those on, on the way in. And those of you that are watching on live stream, there's an outline button next to or underneath your media player. The series that we are in now from the book of Proverbs is titled, Living Wisely in a Foolish World. And as I said at the beginning of the series for several weeks, but I haven't uh, for the last few, uh, I remind you that the book is structured with seven sections to it. And those sections include the introduction that we're in now that goes through chapter 9. We're in chapter 8 today. And then you have six others, and you see those listed there. So we are finally near the end of the introduction as it goes through chapter 9. So we do chapter 8 today, chapter 9 next time. We're then going to move to that most familiar number of sections of the book, those comprising the Proverbs and the sayings of Solomon and others. Now I say we'll do chapter 9 next time rather than next week. Because next Sunday is Easter, so our message is not going to next week be from Proverbs, but is rather going to be on the theme of the resurrection of Christ. In two weeks, we will do chapter 9, which finishes then the introduction, and then we'll cover the, the rest of the book, but not verse by verse, as we've been doing through the first nine chapters. It's laid out that way and conducive to that. Those short Proverbs are, as you're familiar with, on different topics, different themes. And so from chapter 10 through 31, you gather what Proverbs says about a particular topic and then put that together in, in a message. So we'll have at least a dozen of those covering a, a topic each week, uh, starting in three weeks from, from today. And with last week's message from chapter 7, we finished the 10 lectures on wisdom from a father to a son that lay the foundation for the rest of the book of Proverbs. These final two chapters, chapters 8 and 9 of the introduction, are wrapping, are wrapping it up by making final appeals to choose the right path. We're going to see that now from chapter 8. Let's pray now and ask God to help us as we do. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather now. Thank you for allowing us to have your word in our possession open before us to hear you speak. We thank you that you love your creatures enough to guide us and to not leave us to grope in darkness, but give us your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May we use it that way. It can only happen if we have open hearts and attentive minds. Grant those to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I say, first of all, in your outline that wisdom makes appeal to all. Wisdom makes appeal to all. Verse 1 of chapter 8, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Now you see in your outline we have five points from this chapter. We'll spend most of our time on the first three and then uh, just a little bit on those final two. But this first verse asks, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Now notice that wisdom is spoken of with the female pronoun her. And as we go, wisdom is going to be referred to as she. Now, this is probably because these lessons have been from a father to a son. And because the recipient of these lessons is male, he's likely to be tempted by a female. And so now he's being presented with a better woman. If the student were a daughter, we may be reading of wisdom as the better man. Presenting the best woman in this chapter is what Proverbs chapter 8 is about. 
And in doing that, it's fitting because it follows what we saw last week with the adulterous wife from chapter 7 who takes advantage of the gullible young man who wanders into the city and past her house while her husband is away. One commentator has listed the many contrasts between the adulterous wife in chapter 7 and Lady Wisdom here in chapter 8. We saw in chapter 7 that the woman there moves covertly at dusk and she speaks falsely. We're going to see that wisdom moves publicly and speaks direct and authoritative truth. Unlike the smooth and seductive but deceptive speech of the adulteress, wisdom is said in this chapter to be straight, right, true, not twisted or, or crooked. The temptress leads her victims to slavery, impoverishment and death. Wisdom's speech leads her followers to kingship, to wealth and life. The wicked lady inhabits the earthly and the mundane. Wisdom soars in heaven above space and time. While both rub shoulders in the city and they appeal for the love of the uncommitted, gullible youth, the unchaste wife does so erotically, wisdom does so spiritually. The house of the unfaithful wife is a death trap, but the mansion of wisdom is the abundant life. This chapter is, is saying that wisdom, young man, is the woman you want on your arm. And by extension, for all of us, you want her on your arm at all times, in contrast to what we've seen previously. Now, the answer to both of those rhetorical questions in verse 1, does not wisdom call out, does not understanding raise her voice, is an assumed yes. And then verse 2 says, at the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Wisdom does this in order to be heard far and wide, doesn't wait for an audience to come to her, and so verse 2 says, stands at the highest point in the city. Now, one such place in the 10th century BC, which is the time that Solomon lived, was called the Loser's Stone in Jerusalem. Now, it's not a place where losers would be displayed, but rather it was a place in the city where the lost and found were located. And someone would call out seeking the owners of what was, what was lost. Wisdom's voice goes out from the highest point and is heard to those going, it says, along the way where the paths meet. So when it says where the paths meet, where paths diverge, it's what we would call a crossroads, a fork in the road. Baseball Hall of Fame Yankee catcher and manager Yogi Berra once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, the point is you can't take both. We must all choose one or the other. One of the reasons that we here at Community Bible Church call our college and career ministry crossroads is because young people are having to choose which life it is they're going to pursue. And just as an aside, I'm so thankful that we have so many who have clearly marked out the choice in the right direction, choosing wisdom over folly. Verse 3 says, Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud. And it says beside the gate. The city gate is where there were benches and side chambers where people would congregate and they would buy and sell, settle disputes, and transact politics. And forcing a choice, as wisdom does, right at the very entrance means one needs to decide in favor of wisdom, now notice, before engaging in all that the world has to offer so that you're then ready to properly interact, but also resist the many who would pull you in the wrong direction. And the call goes to all who need it. And who all need it? That would be everybody. And so the call goes to everyone. Verse 4, to you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Now, back in chapter 1, we had a similar teaching from the book of Proverbs. It's been many weeks, so I don't expect you to remember it, but here's what 
Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out at the city gate. She makes her speech. Now, in both that passage and now in chapter 8, we're being told that wisdom is ubiquitous. It is, it's all around you, and therefore it's available to be heeded by everyone. And I said in that message that you know that people have some knowledge of the right path because first and foremost, God says that all people do, that wisdom is available and makes itself available to everyone. God says this in Romans 2, when those who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. So we know that Wisdom regarding right and wrong is available to all people because Scripture says as much. But we also know it by the measures that people take to avoid what's right and to conceal what is wrong. Have you ever noticed that children don't have to be taught to hide when they do something wrong? They automatically know that. Because we are sinners by nature, your child... Because they are your child. <laughs> and because you're a child of your parents, and we are all children of Adam and Eve, because that's true then, we all by nature know what's right, and we show that we know that by hiding it when we do wrong. We all have a sense of that wrong. Everyone has what the legal system calls uh, a mens rea. That's Latin for a guilty mind. We have a sense of right and wrong unless we obliterate that conscience, which the Bible says is possible, by constant violation and the evil affirmation of others around us, that it's okay. You have a constant barrage of that, and your conscience wears away. This mens rea, this consciousness of guilt, says a person demonstrates that they know they've done wrong if they take actions afterwards to try to conceal it. But whether it's before or after, there are many things that people do that show that wisdom has confronted them through their conscience, but also through their environment, as they see others who haven't gone the path that they are contemplating, and they have the opportunity to make a similar choice. Wisdom cries out through nature, through nurture, most directly through special revelation in God's Word, but will it be heeded? I say in the outline, wisdom makes appeal to all. It makes that appeal to all, but only finds appeal with some. Makes it to all, only finds appeal, though, with some. Verse 6, listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Now, please notice a couple of things about this section. First, it suggests what we see in experience, in our own experience, namely that not everyone is going to find wisdom appealing. Verse 9 says it's to the discerning that the words of wisdom are appealing. And verse 10 says that wisdom must be intentionally chosen that is, we're not naturally endowed with it. In fact, our natural tendency is in the direction of foolishness. And that's why this very book of Proverbs says in chapter 22 that folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child. So not everyone finds wisdom appealing. But also notice that wisdom gives reasons that it should be appealing. It gives reasons that indeed we should embrace her. It does not just say here wisdom's message, 
does not just say here, do this, but rather it goes on to provide incentive to do this by explaining why and what will follow. You see this in the word for in verse 6. Listen for because I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. And then you see that again in verse 7. My mouth speaks what is true for because my lips detest wickedness. You see it in verse 11. Because wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. And wisdom's goodness is contrasted with its opposite in verse 8. All the words of my mouth are just. Unlike the words of foolishness, which are crooked and perverse. And verse 9 says, the words of wisdom are right. And when we looked at the universal outreach that wisdom makes back in chapter 1, chapter 1 denounced those who reject wisdom. But now chapter 8 entices everyone to accept it. Chapter 1 denounced those who reject wisdom. In chapter 8 here now, it is enticing everyone to accept it. And that's because, now hear this, Warnings against what is bad are not enough. We need to encourage what is good. In the end, we need to show a better alternative. It's not enough to simply say, don't go there. But we must say, here's where you do go. That's true in the home, parents. Remember, these lessons have been from a father to a son and parents, you showing your children whether or not the Christian life is the best life is extremely important. And we parents need to ask ourselves, am I doing that? Am I showing my child or my children that the Christian life is the best life? Or by my complacency, am I showing that it's a take it or leave it prospect? Parents who delight in the Lord and delight to serve Him, generally produce children who do the same. Now, I say generally because, of course, there are exceptions. I mentioned early on in this series that Proverbs, by their very nature, are general truths. And so these are not legal guarantees, but they are giving you what's generally true. But those children who do choose to reject what they've seen from us should have to overcome major hurdles in order to do that. They should have to reject all that's been laid before them and all that's been shown to be good by us, their parents. And if they do so, if they still go ahead and reject, we can and must pray to our merciful God to return them to Him and to us. But for those who choose to reject, we should be careful, parents, to ensure that it is despite what they've seen from us, not because of it. I will tell you this, dear parents, if your children detect indifference toward the Lord and His mission, they will be indifferent at best. At best. At worst, they will correctly conclude that this Christian life thing is just a tradition, not a transformation. So why bother? When the world's offering me something right now, better. You see, culture cultivates. Homes create a culture. Churches create a culture. Businesses create a culture. Schools create a culture. And each cultivates in its own chosen way. Christian homes and churches need to foster a culture that cultivates the ground of the heart emphasizing the point that it's not just stay away from what is bad, but fully embrace this because it's good. I'll get off this, but parents, I cannot emphasize enough that you communicate to your children, Jesus is best. His church is best. Even though His church have, has people like you in it. <laughs> and me. 
Even though that's the case, his church is best. We love it. We give ourselves to it. We give ourselves to its mission. And we talk about it. We talk about what we've heard from God's word. And we participate. And we do so joyfully. The child who lives in that environment, if he or she rejects that, has to overcome all of that. They can. They sometimes do. Let's make it hard for them. Because we show them what's most important and what's best. Wisdom makes appeal to all. It only finds appeal, though, with some. And I say, wisdom benefits in time. Wisdom has real-world benefits right now for those who possess it. Now remember, this chapter's praise of wisdom is designed to motivate us to choose it. So it's showing the positive benefits of doing so rather than only showing the negative consequences of failing to. And we'll see those benefits in a bit, but first, we're told what wisdom produces, beginning in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. Those who are wise, verse 12 says, understand when and how to use what they know. That's prudence. Understanding when and how to use what I know. And they know that they need to learn, they need to acquire knowledge, and they put that to use by making good plans. That's discretion. So prudence is knowing when and how to use what I know. The wise understand that they need to acquire knowledge, and then they make good plans. That is discretion based upon that knowledge. Now, how do you acquire then this wisdom that includes all that? Proverbs has said over and over, and again now in chapter 8, that you are to, quote, listen and accept and choose. Listen, accept, choose. It keeps saying that over and over again. It's the words of wisdom that create the wise. And that's why you listen. And that's then why you make a choice to accept them. You choose to go in the direction of wisdom. It's the words of wisdom that create the wise. But a prerequisite to that listening and that accepting is humility. If I don't have humility, then why am I going to listen? I already know it all. And of course, we know that that is, as I'm going to remind us here in a bit, this is a temptation of the human heart at whatever age, and often especially when we're young. We don't know what we don't know. We think we know enough. We think sometimes we know everything. If I don't have humility, I'm not going to listen. Humility is a prerequisite to gaining this wisdom. And that's what verse 13 is saying. Verse 13 says you fear the Lord. You fear or you are in awe of, you revere the Lord. And it means, verse 13, you hate evil. In particular, you eschew, as he does, pride and arrogance, which in fact underlie all sin. You remember the first human sin with Adam and Eve. And they were tempted with what? You will be like God. And that moral order of you under the Lord and so following him is what creates the heart and life that can now exercise what verse 14 says. Counsel, sound judgment, insight, and curiously perhaps, power. I think it's pretty easy to see how counsel and sound judgment and insight are products of this wisdom. If we humble ourselves and we listen and we accept and we choose, that's what produces the wise. Now I have the humility to do that. I fear the Lord, so I'm not proud or arrogant. And it produces these qualities in verse 14 of counsel, sound judgment, 
and insight, but what about, what about power? Well, in this context, it means that all of this leads to positions of power. Because the next two verses speak of this being the way of kings and, pr- and princes, the way they preside. Verse 15, by me, that is wisdom, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, wisdom, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. And so for those who follow this, this pathway, it can and in the best of circumstances, does lead to those rising to positions of of power and then governing accordingly. Now, in our era, uh, era of culture wars, we too often put results over character. We prioritize winning over morality. When we do that, we hurt our witness. We hurt our community. We hurt our country. If we cannot have leaders who fit this beautiful profile, then we at least should not promote those who are the opposite, right? I'm just saying, friends, we need to be reminded of this in our day. We should not be promoting leaders who are the opposite. We may be stuck with them, but we don't have to promote them. Christian people should not promote what verse 13 says God hates. Pride and arrogance, evil behavior, perverse speech, yikes. Wisdom not only has, we're told, political benefits that some who who desire this wisdom and then exercise its traits rise to positions of power, but also material benefits for those who love her. Verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Now, it does not mean, of course, that if you live wisely, you'll be on the Forbes 500, but it does mean that generally, again, The nature of Proverbs, those who fit the profile given here will not squander. As we will see when we have, in a few weeks, a lesson on what the rest of Proverbs says about finances, about money, and and work. Those who fit this profile will not squander, will be industrious, and will look to prepare for the future. Verse 19 says, "'My fruit is better than fine gold.'" What I yield surpasses choice silver. What wisdom produces is more than material, though it's not less. So it's more than that, it's saying. And what it produces is more important than that. But in the main, those who follow this profile, those who identify with this profile, will be people who have what they need as they work for what's required. What wisdom produces is more than material gain, not less, and its fruit, its yield, are in verse 20. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. So wisdom benefits in the here and now, in time. And, in your outline, wisdom benefits at all times. And what follows from verse 22 all the way through verse 31 is 10 verses talking about the origin of wisdom. We're going to read those here in a moment. We're going to see that wisdom has existed for eternity. Verse 22 says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of His works before His deeds of old. Now, Bruce Waltke, who's perhaps the foremost evangelical Old Testament scholar, says this, that this phrase, brought me forth, signifies that Solomon's inspired wisdom comes from God's essential being. It's a revelation that has an organic connection with God's very nature and being, unlike the rest of creation that came into existence outside of him and independent from his being. 
Verse 23, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before He made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when He set the heavens in place, when He marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when He established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when He gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. Now I say it benefits at all times because these ten verses are about the origin of wisdom. And as we're going to, as we've seen, it's existed as long as God has. That is, forever. And it's going to exist as long as God does. That is, forever. And so it's always been available, and it always will be. A couple of things I want you to note in addition to that about these verses. One is, this is telling us that wisdom is external to us. Wisdom originates in God. That means it's external to us. God imparts it. So you and I don't have it apart from God. It comes from God, and it originates with Him. It's external to us. Secondly, wisdom is not only external to us, it's joyous over us. Do you notice toward the end there, verse 30, constantly at his side, filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, delighting, delighting in mankind. He has made, and he has made an amazing world. The creator, the one who wisely fashioned everything and wisely does all things, and he is not only made the world, he is remaking people in the world who have been tainted by sin, that is all of us who will choose to come to him, he's doing so marvelously. And when we're we're reminded of that, then we can joyously live, rejoicing in even the seemingly small things that this all-wise creator has done. I read the story this week of Charles Spurgeon. Many of you know that name famous preacher in the 1800s in London. He had spent some time working over a few days with a pastor friend, and after they were finished with their work, they decided to go on a vacation together, part of which they spent roaming fields in high spirits like boys let loose from school. They're chatting, they're laughing, they're free from care. The pastor told a story at which Spurgeon laughed uproariously. And then suddenly Spurgeon turned to his pastor friend and he said, let's kneel down and let's thank God for laughter. All of these beauties of God's wisdom in his creation, all should turn our hearts and our minds toward him. Lastly, wisdom is what distinguishes everyone. Wisdom distinguishes everyone. Now, I say distinguishes everyone, I mean separates everyone. Divides. There's the wisdom, there's the wise, and there's the foolish. In God's word, there are only two kinds of people there are believers and there are non believers. There are those who belong to Him and there are those who do not. And in this conclusion now to this passage, Regarding wisdom, it's making that very appeal based upon that truth. Verse 32, now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. And all who hate me love death. Friends, 
Two kinds of people. Only two. This wisdom only comes from the God who created it, the God who possesses it, the God who imparts it. So there are those who belong to Christ and are wise, those who are outside of Christ, and then they live as fools. Now I'm going to ask you in just a bit, which, which one are you, and give you opportunity to move from the foolish to the wise side. But here's your take-home truth. Wisdom blesses all those and only those who embrace her. Now we're going to bow and pray in just a, a moment, but as we do, it's my hope, my prayer, my desire that there would be some who hear me say there are only these two categories of people, those who belong to Christ and thus are the wise, those who do not belong to Christ, and so they live foolishly. Only two categories. It's my hope and prayer and desire that there would be some that would remove from being outside of Christ and thus foolish into His wisdom. How do you do that? At a point in time, and this can be the time, the point at which you do this, you realize that you're a sinner. Realize that what Proverbs says about you when you were born is true of all humanity. Foolishness is bound up in us. We come into the world not possessing this wisdom. It's external to the us. It must be imparted to us. So you realize that you are a sinner. Recognize, though, that God has given the solution for your sin that must be paid for. By God the Son coming to do what you couldn't, and so he dies on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, all of it, past, present, and future. He not only dies on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, that's what we have on, on the screen, but assumed in that, dying on the cross for your sins, is that he lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. Because otherwise, the death would not have accomplished that. So he both lived for you and died for you. And you repent. You say, I know this is what I am. I know this is what I've been. I want to go your way, no longer my way. You turn to follow him. You repent of your sins. You receive Jesus Christ into your life. When you do that, he gives you his Holy Spirit and he imparts his wisdom to you. He changes your desires so that now your affections what you want to do with your life are directed toward your Creator, the one who is all-wise and the only one who can grant this wisdom. So we're going to bow and pray. And as we do, I encourage you, friend, to acknowledge in your own words to God from your heart that you are this foolish sinner like we all come into this world as and that you need Jesus Christ. Ask for His forgiveness. Give Him your life and He'll begin to change you from the inside out. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we again thank you for this privilege of being able to open your book and be instructed. Lord, we thank you that you indeed are wisdom, but you do not withhold that wisdom. You share that wisdom with your creatures. And so that when we have a relationship with you, as a father to your children, you gladly impart, and you joyfully impart, and you want to see the gladness and the joy and the rejoicing that results from that impartation of wisdom in our lives, in us, and in your world. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that Jesus Christ has become wisdom for us, that though the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, to those of us who have embraced Him and it, it is the power of God. And so, Lord, we ask You to exercise that power now in this moment by raising some from spiritual death, moving upon spiritually dead hearts, making them alive to Your truth and embracing Your wisdom, desiring to live as You designed. As a result of that, may they, like we, now be instruments of your praise in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we think. Lord, we will give you the honor and the praise for what you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now for our closing song.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you, CBC family and guests, for joining us. Have a great week serving.